This is episode 193 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today we're going to talk about recovering from people pleasing with Dr. Sasha Eins. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going to Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist and emotional eating expert, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food Method and founder of the Going to Beyond the Food Academy. Corporate executive turned health expert with my own journey with weight, body image, and food. It's now my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently right now and unconditionally. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Hello, sisters. How are you doing? This is Stephanie Dodzi, your host and your leader in Going Beyond the Food. A quick update before we get started with this very empowering interview with Dr. Sasha Hines. We just completed the Intuitive Eating Project last week. So I'm speaking to you on June the 18th here. And I had the honor of leading those women through a process really of self-discovery. That's what intuitive eating is. It's about coming back home to ourselves, to our own power, that we've given away for years to diet culture and paleo, keto, and all of those things that we've done to our body in an attempt to lose weight. So it was my honor, and I've been posting some of the testimonial of some of those ladies on particularly social media, Instagram, and Facebook. And it's really empowering to see that these women were able to come back home very easily and very quickly. And I hope perhaps to be able to lead you into this process of learning intuitive eating. So if you are interested, we're running the second round of the intuitive eating project starting June the 24th. I know it's kind of short notice, but that's why you need to be on our community so you can get those notifications. But perhaps you can join us. If not, then the next one I think is going to be in August, mid-August of this year. So make sure that you are part of our email community or that you are registered on the wait list. All of the links can be found in the show notes. So back to this week's topic, which is really a question that came from our academy student, people pleasing. We, I speak as we, as people who have been challenged with our body image, with our weight, with being caught up in diet culture and dieting for years have become people pleaser. And I believe that part of the reason that we are caught into this is because we want to find worth. And this worthiness, the self-esteem that we're seeking, we're finding it through pleasing other people and getting positive feedback sent back to us of how good we are and how helpful we are. And then it becomes a pattern. It becomes a way of getting this positive reinforcement that we aren't giving to ourselves in the first place. And because we need it viscerally, we need value as human being. And because we're in a constant battle within and constant negative self-talk within, We're not giving it to ourselves, so we seek it outside, and then we develop this pattern of being people pleaser. So we're sitting there 
trapped into this pattern because we feel that that's who we are. So I'm here to tell you today, and and Sasha will tell you the same thing, we aren't born people pleaser. It's a coping mechanism that we adapt ourselves to, to survive. And that's what Sasha is going to really dive into. And just a little bit of background on Dr. Sasha Hines. She's a PhD in developmental psychologist. She's an expert in positive psychology, behavioral change, and getting unstuck. That is her specialty. Sasha is a working mom. She has a beautiful little daughter. And she's coming from a place just like you and I of having been challenged with food. So we're going to talk about what is exactly the disease of people pleasing, how it manifests into our life, why it affects women more than men, and how to learn to say no, which is the most important part, and how to let go of this opinion of other being so important to us. You ready? Let's do this, sister. Welcome to the Soul Shasha. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I am very excited to be here as well with you to help the listener with this whole people-pleasing thing. We did a survey recently with our community And when we ask women what gets in the way of you doing the work, right, the whole mindset work, to have a healthier relationship with food in their body, people pleasing came in as number two. So I would like for you as the expert. By the way, I'm curious, what was number one? Number one is the need to lose weight. Ah, okay. So women recognize, that's a good conversation starter, women recognize that there is a mindset and a mind thinking issue around food, but the value of them losing weight is more important than releasing or healing their mindset. Got it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So what we find is we have a lot of body image work to do first, for women to open up to the mindset work. Right. That's right. That's why intuitive eating is so scary for people. Yes, that's exactly it. The idea that you might gain weight before you lose the weight is not exciting (laughs) for most people. (laughs) That's not what they want to (laughs) hear. No. So that's the number one. So the need to lose weight. The number two is, but my husband doesn't believe in this thing or but I don't have the time or, but I need to put my kids first or, but, 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 but it's all about other things in their life, but themselves. So we round this up to call people pleasing. How would you define as the expert people pleasing? Oh my goodness. Well, my big question, right? Yeah. Big question. My definition I think is not necessarily scientific or technical, but I would say that, you know, people pleasing is a habit. And it derives from earlier interpersonal dynamics in one's family of origin and the way that they interact with people, also their temperament and other things. But typically, anyhow, we can get into that later. But I think the people pleasing is at the end of the day, you will end up being full of resentment. It turns people into what I call a lying bag of human resentment. I love that. <laughs> And it sounds so pretty, right? It's an easy way to say like, oh, but, you know, I had to do this for them and I had to say yes to this and I just felt so guilty. I had, right, it it seems it's wrapped up in beautiful wrapping paper and a beautiful big bow. 
but it's basically, you know, a steaming pile of excrement wrapped up in a bow. That's what people pleasing is. It is not being kind. It is not being thoughtful. It is not being generous or of service to others because when you're really when you are engaging in those behaviors and you are genuinely doing things for the sake of contributing and being generous and kind, it doesn't leave you with this hangover of being irritated and pissed off. You're doing it because it's an autonomous choice. When you're doing it because you feel compelled, like I must, I must take this person to, you know, whatever it is, right? I must take my kids to their practices so I can't go to a class that I want to go to at night. And I, I must have this party because, you know, nobody else would have it. I mean, it, it sounds insane when you hear it said like that. I mean, who cares? It's just a party. But this is how we operate, right? Oh, well, I must volunteer for all the, the you know, the kids' activities at school. I must be the class parent because nobody else stepped up to the plate. Really? You must? You have to? Is that true? But the compulsion to do that is coming from a much deeper place. So let's go there because so one of the things that we do here is we are uh, functional coaching, functional medicine. So we always look at the root cause of the behavior or the issue that we have. It's not a symptom management approach. So I like this. So what drives us specifically as women to have this behavior of pleasing others before taking care of ourselves? So essentially what people pleasing is, is it's merely an emotional management system. Hmm. So we people please in order to manage our own emotions and most of those, and I would say the emotions are mostly, there are two emotions that you'll be managing, which is anxiety and guilt, hmm. right? So I don't want to feel guilty. So I'm going to go do the thing. I'd rather the irritation of going to do that thing for someone so that I don't have to deal with my guilt. I'd rather be angry about having to help that person or show up or volunteer or whatever that is than to feel guilty, right? It's choosing those internalized emotions over feeling like, quote unquote, a bad person, <laughs> right? So I think at its core, it really comes down to an issue of worthiness, Right? It's managing that feeling of unworthiness. And if we go the layer deeper in the origin, could we say that it comes from the way we were raised or how something happened when we were younger in our life? Or that's something we develop later in life? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, people who engage in a lot of people-pleasing behavior are people who don't feel safe in conflict they don't feel safe if someone is irritated or upset with them or disagrees with them. That feels so uncomfortable to them that they just can't handle it. So they would rather, quote unquote, like take the path in their mind, take the path of least resistance, yep. which ultimately means that they're sublimating their own feelings, right? They would rather do that than deal with, to them, extremely excruciatingly uncomfortable emotions of other people being disappointed, unhappy, you know, irritated with them. Hmm. So that's really where it comes from. And, and that can emerge in many different ways. It's interesting because, so I'm a nutritionist, I'm not an expert in the mind, but enough to say that here's my clinical observation is 
most women that come to me with body image issue mm -hmm. have a part of their personality as people pleaser to a certain degree, like it's the scale is different, but mm -hmm. they all have this need to please other alongside with body image. Mm -hmm. Is that your observation as well? What I would say is that people who have struggle with their body image tend to not know how to nourish themselves and have no sense, like almost they're totally disconnected from their body. They have no sense of what they need, what their needs are. They're probably not that great at self-care. It's like, I mean, for years, even now, self-care does not come naturally to me. It's not something that I think is intuitive. I don't necessarily get it. I'm like, what does that mean? Like most modern women, right? What, what do you mean? <laughs> right. And what I say to my clients is that I fundamentally self-care is parenting yourself in the way that you wish you had been parented. That's a great description. So I love a bath. I love getting, you know, a man sometimes I like getting a mani-pedi, not all the time. That's not really self-care. Yes. Self-care is treating yourself as a loving and supportive parent. And that means when your inner toddler wants to watch another Netflix show and stay up until, you know, midnight, one in the morning. If you're a loving parent and your child is asking to stay up an extra hour to watch a show, are you just like, yeah, go for it. You deserve it. You totally, de you deserve it. You stay up late. No way, right? That's not at all how you'd respond to a kid. You'd say, oh, I love you so much. I completely understand why you want to stay up. It's hard to shut it down and it's hard to, turn it off and the, the ending feels like a loss, <laughs> right? But you need sleep, sweetie. You got to get to bed. It's important for you. Your brain functions better. Your body needs to grow, right? There's all of this brain repair that's happening at night that doesn't happen any other way. Detoxifying your body, you need to go to sleep. Obviously, that's not the conversation you're having with your five-year-old, but that's what you're thinking, right? No, sweetie, you need to go to bed. So, you know, I think sometimes we're very confused about how to take care of ourselves, And I think that's very much at the heart of people who struggle with people pleasing, I think are very confused about how to take care of themselves. Which leads to the whole body image issue. Now I want to mm -hmm. go into another angle because when I read, so I'll post the link to Dr. Sasha's article on Goop, but basically the overarching angle of this article was about people pleasing being a form of manipulation, right? Yeah. Can you expand on that so people can fully understand that part of people pleasing? So I say this to be provocative. I do not say this to shame you. This is not to say, hey, you thought, you know, one of your hallmark characteristics is that you're a kind person. And I'm here to say, no, you're not. You're a liar. <laughs> That's not, I'm saying it. I'm saying it to be provocative because I think it's important that you question, why am I doing this, right? Because if you're a true people pleaser, the helping people does leave you burnt out and resentful. And when you're feeling resentful, guess what? You're feeling angry and it comes out in all sorts of ways. And it can come out as anger that you internalize, right? That you're taking out on yourself. So it begs the question, is it so kind? And who is it kind to? right? And when you're in your mind, silently screaming at that person that asked you to do that thing, and you're saying, okay, 
oh, you know, here I am doing all of the work. You know, we're both supposed to be volunteering for this and I'm the one who's doing all the work and you're not doing anything. But meanwhile, you're smiling. Everything's fine, (laughs) but you are not happy internally, right? The energy that you're experiencing, the emotional experience that you're having is one of anger, right? So is that kind? I think it's worth questioning. So I, I say it to be provocative, but the reason that we you know, contort ourselves to other people's expectations is that ultimately we want to feel better, right? Either we want their, we want their praise, we want their love, we want their appreciation, or we're so terrified of their disapproval and their displeasure, you know, like that's so terrifying that we basically do anything to avoid that. Yeah, and I think when you study, so I'll correlate that to body image, when you study the root cause of body image is this fear of rejection, which is one of the most primal part of us as human being, being part of the tribe, right? Right, right. And so what I'm saying is, the reason I think it's worth questioning is because the reason that you're doing the motivation to people please is not from this altruistic desire to help or to be of service. It's really coming from, the motivation is so that you can feel better, right? Absolutely. And when you begin to see it in that way, like, oh, I'm doing this because I'm scared of not feeling good or I want their approval and approbation. When you realize that, it helps to see it in a different light. It doesn't feel so pretty anymore. Yes. I think that's the key point of the whole interview here is really understanding that behavior from that point. So let's move to... Now that we see it from that different light, how do we, quote, recover from people pleasing? What's your approach? Well, this is hard for people who have disconnected from their bodies, but the work is being able to sit with negative emotions. So that means being able to sit with this idea, by the way, this is anathema to most people who engage in this behavior, the idea that someone might actually be disappointed and irritated with you what? (laughs) No way, right? Run for the hills. That's the work. The work is to learn how to sit with that and allow it to be okay. Someone can be annoyed with me and it's okay. And, And interestingly enough, I think when you're a parent, if you really are conscious about this and think about it with regard to a relationship with your children, if one has children, I think you can begin to see how having boundaries and saying no actually is an act of kindness and love. And even when that other person is irritated and disappointed with you or angry with you, that you can still stand there and know that you're doing the right thing. It's easier to see that when you have a five-year-old. So if you have a five-year-old who's having a tantrum or an eight-year-old who's angry about taking away their screen time and saying, you know, you've had enough, we're not going to play Fortnite for another hour and you take away their screen time. Guess what? They're not happy with you, right? They're going to yell. They're going to be disappointed. They're going to tell you that you're the worst, right? And it's interesting, but in that context, it's very easy to withstand the onslaught, right? No problem. Why is that? I'm curious. Because of your thoughts are so different, right? It's so easy to see in that dynamic I'm doing the loving thing. This is the right thing to do. I believe in this. 
even if they tell me I'm the worst mother in the world or that I'm like the meanest person on the planet, right? I still know that I'm doing the right thing. I believe in what I'm doing. So it doesn't land. None of those criticisms land at all. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. I know you think I mean, but I'm absolutely right. Right? I'm I'm actually loving you. It's time to go to bed. <laughs> Just go to bed. But when it is the other class mother, yeah. Right? Our thoughts are completely different. So the work is twofold. One, examining our thoughts and questioning our thoughts and really getting conscious about what am I thinking that's making me feel guilty, ashamed, insecure, all of those things, right? And then the second part of it is then being able to sit with those negative emotions. Hmm. And instead of resisting them, and the way that we resist those negative emotions is we engage in emotional novocaine. So we overeat, we overdrink, we overwatch TV, we procrastinate, right? Everything that's legal. Yeah. We say yes. We say, sure, I'll do it. No problem. Just to avoid that feeling, right? It's a form of emotional Novocaine. People pleasing is another form of emotional Novocaine. And here's what happens with emotional Novocaine. It numbs the negative emotion initially, (laughs) but it leaves a pretty rotten hangover, right? So yeah, in the moment you're like, oh yeah, of course, happy to help. Yes, of course, I will drive your children and my children to all the activities today. No problem. And then four hours later, you're seething with resentment and anger, right? So what happens is, and then it creates this sort of, you know, descending cycle because the only way to manage that seething anger and resentment is pick up a snack, have a glass of wine check out with TV, right? I mean, that's how we deal with it. And thus the cycle continues. Absolutely. And it's also, let me get your opinion on that. When you numb your ability to feel the negative emotion, you also numb the ability to feel the good emotion, if there's such good or bad, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not selective. Right. No, you're blunting your emotional experience on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So that comes to another element that we teach is the lack of pleasure in our life will drive us to food because food gives us pleasure. Yep. But in part, part of the reason why we don't have pleasure is because we don't feel the pleasure that's already present in our life. Yes. It's very hard to feel pleasure when you're irritated and resentful most of the time. Would you say that people pleasing affects more women than men? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, I think sometimes men seem like aliens to women because it's like they're not wired in this way. They can't even understand why. (laughs) Sometimes my husband's like this. I don't even understand why you would even feel bad about that, right? Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't. But I I think, and it's Shelly Taylor at UCLA who's done a lot of this research, but women are wired to respond to stress and threat in a different way than men are. We all have the fight or flight response. That's true. But women also do this other thing, which we call tend and befriend. So if you think about, you know, back in the days of, of hunter gathering and we're trying to keep the, you know, homeo sapiens, we're trying to keep our species alive. If there's a threat, what do women need to do? Protect the young, right? They have to make sure that the defenseless, members of the community are 
nurtured and taken care of. So women under threat will do this, tend to other people and befriend, create community. They, so women are far more likely when feeling stressed to pick up the phone and call a friend, right? They will engage in more, you know, sort of helping behavior. And it's, that's a positive thing. It's what's kept us alive. It's important, but it can also like anything else, right? If it's not balanced, it can backfire. And I think that's what leads us to sometime having that difficult conversation or communication between the most present relationship, which are female and men, and where the woman needs to have that declare the need to care for herself, like she's trying to move out of people pleasing. And the husband or the partner does not understand why is it such an issue? Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that And I'm not saying that men don't have the same issue. I think that, you know, imagine a man who is like in an Italian family and he is trying to lose a few pounds and he goes to a Friday night dinner at his mother's house and she's looking at him like, what, you don't love me? You're not going to eat my delicious meal I prepared for you, right? So he's like, oh gosh, yes, mom, I love you. I love you. And here he is, you know, eating his big bowl of pasta, even though he didn't want to, right? He, that's people pleasing as well, right? But when you realize, and you can completely imagine how in the moment he's, you know, taking it for the team, he's, this is my mom is now going to be happy, right? But hours later when he's feeling full and, you know, isn't making headway in his diet in the way that he wants to, how that leads to resentment, right? Because he's taking care of her needs. He's not caring for his needs. But where I think we get very confused. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen to men. It absolutely does. I think that women are just more inclined. I think we are more biologically wired to be more concerned with tending to other people's needs. But I think what happens is, is that we're just deeply confused about how people's emotions, where the origin of our emotions lie. So I think we are socialized to believe that we can hurt people's feelings and and in reverse, that other people can hurt our feelings. But that's never the case. There's always a mediator. So there's other people's actions, what other people say and do and think. And there, then there's our emotional response, right? Our emotional reaction. But there's a mediator in between other people's behavior and our emotions. And that is a thought. We have to think a thought to feel a feeling. So what we really need to work on is what do we make their behavior mean? So, you know, you go to your mother's house, she says like, what, you don't love me because you're not eating, right? And the thought that triggers the guilt is like, oh, my, you know, I don't want to make my mom unhappy. But the irrational thought that underlies all of it is this belief that you are capable of making your mother unhappy. Bingo. Right? Expand on that, please. This is so important. Listen very carefully. So the only person who can make your mother unhappy is your mother. The only thing that's making her feel bad, unloved, is her thoughts, right? How do I know that? Because you could be sitting there with the most brimming with love for your mother and still not eat the pasta that she's prepared. And it has, or have one serving, not three, right? And it has nothing to do with how much you love her. It has everything to do with how you want to take care of yourself, right? So 
for her to believe that that is about you not loving her is incorrect, right? But she's creating that emotion in her body, that feeling that she's feeling is not created by you. How could it? Because you're full of love. It's created in her brain, right? It's all an internal process that's happening with her. So when we still believe that we are capable of making other people feel badly and that other people in turn are capable of making us feel badly and hurting our feelings, it is just relationship toxicity. And compensating behavior such as eating body image and all of that stuff. Sure. Because now the other person we've, we've handed over We've outsourced, you know, the power that we have to manage our own emotional life to somebody else. And we've made somebody else responsible for our happiness. Of course. And then it becomes easier because then we get to blame them, right? And we get to scapegoat them. It's your fault. You're the reason. I can't take care of myself because you won't let me. Mm -hmm. Right? But that's never true. And it's part, the whole, if we come full circle to the first question, it's, why we don't do the work because we don't know that we're responsible and we lay that responsibility to someone else. And then we engage in people pleasing. Yeah. I mean, I think people pleasing is, is just a consequence of this thought that they can hurt my feelings. I can hurt their feelings. And that's what we call emotional intelligence is understanding that that's not the truth and going through the work of learning how to be responsible for your own emotions. Yes. It's very scary. It's very scary process for people, right? Because you might understand this truth that I can't hurt your feelings and you can't hurt my feelings, but they might not understand that truth. So they are going to say to you, you hurt my feelings. You made me feel bad. And, you know, an old pattern in you is going to want to say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm a terrible person, right? So it takes a lot of self-awareness and it takes a lot of courage, you know, to be able to appreciate where they're coming from, understand where they're coming from and disagree with them at the same time and say, you know, and you don't have to say it to them, but you can know that the emotions that you're feeling, I have nothing to do with them. And it's the whole self-esteem, self-confidence. I want to make sure we have the time before we end this for you to talk about your own story and journey with people pleasing and compensating behavior and how you came to do this work. So people can see and women listening can see how this can come full circle to where you are today. Mm -hmm. I think I just learned early on. And as I think a lot of women do or young girls do that, I felt that my sense of self and my worthiness as a human being, it was only validated by other people's external opinion of me. So I didn't feel good about myself unless that was being mirrored to me by somebody else. So how do I control that situation? Well, I morph and contort, you know, to be and to do whatever I think those other people want me to do, right? Whatever context I'm in. So it's a fairly empty way (laughs) of living Because, you know, you don't feel like you have some sort of core anchor to who you are. You don't have a sense of self. You're just a professional shapeshifter. And it can work for a while because you can get a lot of praise and and accolades from the outside world. Like, oh, you know, the good girl. What a good girl, right? You can get a lot of that. 
But I think that from many women, you get to this place, you sort of hit that wall where it just doesn't work anymore. You just feel rudderless and empty and lost. And certainly that was, you know, going on in, in my life. And first I had an eating disorder in my in teenage years, which was anorexia and then morphed into bulimia. And anorexia was sort of a short period. And bulimia just really took over my life. I was bulimic for seven years. And I, I never thought I would recover from it, to be completely honest. I thought I would never be normal again. I thought I would never have a day that wasn't obsessed with what I'm eating, how much I'm eating, when I'm eating, what are other people eating? What am I eating in comparison to them? You know, it was like this constant calculation in my head. It was exhausting and frankly, boring. <laughs> there was really not much going on in my life except for obsessing about food. So, I mean, I think about this for so many women. Like, imagine taking that mental obsession out of your life. How much time would that free up for you? What could you do with your life? What could you engage in? What could you get passionate about? What hobbies could you pursue? You know, what could you create? Kind of remarkable. I mean, I've heard this with so many of my clients. When they work through that process, they're just shocked by how much space is in their life. I can't believe how much of my mental energy and, and my time during the day was focused on food. And I felt, you know, the same way. I mean, I was lucky to find, and that's how I became a coach. I found a coach in my early 20s. She really helped me recover. She had long-term recovery from bulimia and she really helped me recover. And that totally changed my life and changed the direction of my life. And it was absolutely what got me into this work. I had a just a yearning to understand myself because indeed eating an eating disorder in my case, or, you know, disordered eating to a lesser extent is addictive behavior. So, you know, I was dealing with an addiction and when you're addicted, you're not connected with your body and you're certainly not connected spiritually, but you're not connected to your experience in the moment, right? You're trying to numb out the experience that you're having in the moment. You're trying to feel something else than what you're feeling right now. So I was very illiterate when it came to my emotional life. So then I became fascinated with how do I become fluent in emotions? How do I learn to feel my feelings and experience life? And all of these emotions, a lot of them are ne not necessarily pleasant, anxiety, shame, guilt, anger, irritation, without wanting to quote unquote, take the edge off, right? So this is really the work that got me. I mean, my experience, my personal experience is what got me into this work as a coach and as a psychologist. That's a beautiful story because two things, you can now help people from a place of having been there, which is a tremendous positive benefit, but also it shows your client and people listening that it is possible to overcome this thing, call it people pleasing, self-image, whatever in your life. Recovery is possible. And then you can pass that on to other people, your children, your daughters. Many women here are mothers. And one of their primary motivators is to not pass on those behavior to their children. Yeah. And at the core, it's a discomfort with being in our bodies. Yes. And I think that can sound very esoteric. It does to me. 
And for a lot of women who have issues with eating, they've experienced trauma. They don't want to feel what's going on in their body. There is a very high correlation between eating disorders and sexual abuse. It's extremely high. You know, there are reasons why people disconnect from their bodies. There are very valid reasons why women disconnect and men too, but disconnect from their bodies. So this is brave, hard work. It really is. And it goes against what currently is being marketed in society as the solution. Sure, because all the solutions, especially when you think about the diet culture, diet industry, all the solutions are telling you to do something different. They're just saying, okay, here's the plan. Eat these different foods. It's all actions, right? It's all behaviors. They're saying, just change your behavior. But here's the deal. Behavioral change is always an expression of a mindset change. Always. So if you're just going to address the behavior, you are not going to get very far. You have to address what is going on in your mind first. And the next process is being willing to experience the emotions that come up, right? And they, they may not feel that good. They may feel very scary. So feeling fear, panic, anxiety, anger, those are not necessarily easy for women or, you know, for people to get in touch with. So in order to change the behavior, you have to address those two preceding layers, right? Which is your thoughts, your emotions, and then we can talk about your actions. But the the diet industry has it completely the wrong way. That's why we have to rely on willpower, right? Sure. And willpower is a finite yes. strength, right? So it's, it does work. Willpower does work, but it's going to fatigue and it's not going to work forever. And the more you use it, the more fatigued it gets. So if you're doing a diet, it's requiring all willpower. At some point, it's going to fail, right? At some point, you're going to get a case of, you know. Get off the bandwagon and then. What I call the F-U-C-K. Yes. <laughs> right? You're going to get there. You're going to just be like, Screw it. Yes, screw it. We're moving along. Yeah, it's because it feels too exhausting and too hard. But when you've done the work to really dig into what are the underlying thoughts here and the belief systems that are keeping me stuck, right? With one foot on the gas, which is I really want to change my body. I want to lose weight. I want to feel more comfortable in my body. And there's a lot of valid reasons why people would like to do that, right? So you have the one foot on the gas, which is your earnest, sincere desire to lose weight or to be able to feel more comfortable to exercise more, to be in a swimsuit and go swimming with your child or whatever the compelling reason is. Like you have one foot on the gas, but you also, which is what feels so frustrating is that you have another foot on the brakes because you have underlying belief systems that keep you locked into that behavior, right? And so that's the work is uncovering what are those underlying belief systems. And in order to question and confront those underlying belief systems, you have to do things that are going to be so scary to you, right? A requisite is that you're going to have to feel a bunch of uncomfortable emotions. And most people are just like, eh, no thanks. (laughs) I don't think that sounds like a fun thing to do. Or that's when people quote self-sabotage because they feel the fear. They don't know how to handle it and they back out. 
Sure. They're like, oh, I tried, but I self-sabotage all the time. Well, the only reason why you do is because you don't know how to handle fear. Right. Exactly. And it sounds so easy, right? Oh, just handle the fear, handle the anger. But internally, your system is feeling like it's going to be annihilated. Like you feel like you're going to be annihilated. It's not for the faint of heart. It's really real. But it feels like hell before it feels like freedom, right? But you have to be willing to confront the shadow side, right? And for a people pleaser, the shadow side is resentment and anger, right? It's like all smiles, all yeses. Oh, my identity is being the nice person. My identity is being the one who's always available, the flexible one, the one who's helping, right? Everyone likes me. But the shadow side of that is you're also the one who's always angry, who's always feeling irritated, who has a secret dialogue in their head that's like, that person is so selfish. How could they ask me to do that? Don't they know what's going on in my life, right? Like that's really what's going on internally, right? So you have to be willing to confront that shadow and that's scary for a lot of people, right? And I want to wrap up the interview because we're kind of over time, but I want people to understand that's what you do. You help people do that work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how can they work with you or what's the next step with you? Right now, I only work one-on-one with clients intensively. And you can find me on my website, drsashahines.com or on Instagram, which is just for fun. And come hang out with me on Instagram. (laughs) Come hang out with me on Instagram. It's the same handle, drsashahines. Yeah. But it's a very good Instagram account, by the way. I'm going to link it. Thank you. Yeah, very educational, very empowering. That's the type of Instagram account you want to be following because it's empowering you and inspiring you versus the whole fitness body thing. You want to delete those accounts and go and follow Sasha. Yeah, I mean, I think just as a parting word, I would say anything that you're reading, following, watching that doesn't make you feel good, if it makes you feel less than, it makes you feel icky, turn it off. You do not have to follow it, right? If it doesn't create an emotion that's motivating you to be the better, best version of you, the most self-loving, caring version of you, turn it off. Unfollow. Yeah, Flush you're it. not going to hurt their feelings by unfollowing them. I know all you people pleasers are nope. like, but I can't unfollow. They'll be mad at me. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. They can deal with their own emotions. There's even a function on Facebook that's called, I think, invisible blocking. I discovered that recently where you can, like personal accounts, you can actually stop seeing somebody's posts without them knowing. There you go. So for all the people pleaser. <laughs> right, exactly. It's designed for people pleasers. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much for having given us this time on your schedule. I know you're a busy mom and a busy practice, so I really appreciate your time today. Oh, it's so much fun. I love talking about this topic. Thank you. There you have it, ladies. I hope you learned a lot. I know for me, it was a very passionate discussion. And I've got your little homework or your little exercise for you at the end of this podcast, which I'm trying to do at every podcast. I may forget from time to time. But here's the reflective, intuitive journaling question that I would like you to reflect on. If my weight could talk, what would it say to me? I know, right? (laughs) Big question. But the answer is within you. So I know you can find that. Let me repeat that. If my weight could talk, what would it say to me? 
Good question. So let's reflect on that and perhaps share on social media. Don't forget to grab your intuitive eating guide in the show notes, stephaniedoze.com slash 193. Join our community and I will see you on the next episode and love you girls. Bye.